Welcome to a podcast of Wyoming Chronicle, where we tell the stories of Wyoming in a weekly program of interviews with newsmakers, artists, innovative thinkers, and unique Wyoming personalities. To learn more, visit us at wyomingpbs.org. Wyoming's water supply is shaped by rainfall, snowfall, runoff and infiltration, and in many areas, concerns are growing about the adequacy of the available ground and surface water supply. Who makes the forecasts and predictions about water in Wyoming and what might the future hold? Wyoming Water with hydrologist Jim Fahey, next on Wyoming Chronicle. Funding for this program is made possible in part by the Wyoming Humanities Council, helping Wyoming take a closer look at life through the humanities, thinkwhy.org, and by the members of the Wyoming PBS Foundation. Thank you for your support. And as we begin our discussion on Wyoming Chronicle, all things water in Wyoming, it's my pleasure to be joined by Jim Fahey. Jim is a hydrologist with the National Resources Conservation Service. Jim, welcome to Wyoming Chronicle. Thank you, Craig. Jim, it's good Glad to see to you again. Glad. Um, we've known each other for quite a while. And you produced, Jim, the um, Wyoming Basin and Water Supply Outlook Report, something that's been produced since, we learned, 1954. Yeah, 1954. I went back the, down in the basement and found uh, the earliest one was February 1954, yeah. So, Jim, tell me, who are the consumers of the report that you produce? Why is that report produced? We're going to talk about a lot of things that are in that report, the trends of that report, how it's produced, but who are the consumers of that? Well, the main consumers are any water managers across the state, um, state engineers, um, any irrigation uh, ditch canal managers, um, private uh, reservoirs. For instance, Beba Naughton out in the uh, western part of the state, owned by Pacific Corps, uses our forecast uh, religiously. Um, the Bureau of Reclamation will also use our forecasts. However, the Bureau of Reclamation also, also runs their own model um, for water supply, so we do collaborate with them as well. So tell us how you forecast. What tools do you use? What is at your disposal to make the forecast? And then we'll get into what is the forecast telling us. Okay, well basically um, the way I forecast is I first need to, I need to look at the current conditions. And I'm looking at the snow water equivalent. I'm looking at the precip trends. I'm looking at temperature trends, um, antecedent conditions like soil moisture to get a feel of what what the condition physical conditions are over the basins before we even look at the model. How are you looking at those things? How's that done? It's done uh, well. It's mainly um, looking at uh, you know the National Water Climate Center has a great website where it it uh, displays all the. Station snow water equivalent, um, we, um, as well as precip data um, and temperature data, and then other uh, other stuff on the web from different agencies uh, like the Weather Service, the Climate Prediction Center. Also, uh, I look at that for for uh, trends and also what's going to happen in, in the in the near future as far as temperatures and precipitation, and then. I collaborate with the National Water Climate Center. Those are the ones that run the model out of Portland, Oregon. And basically it's a statistical model where they're mainly looking at amount of snowpack uh, versus uh, statistically um, 
the amount of model snowpack over the past 30 to 40 years. And they run, they run the model and come up with a flow, flow uh, for, I think we have 20, quote me on this, 25, 30 forecast points across the state. And they forecast the amount of flow uh, at those for, forecast points for, uh, for the seat for like the spring and summer season. And then when I look at those numbers, we collaborate further if, if the numbers, I don't, we, you know, I don't like the numbers or it do, it, they're too high, too low, whatever. And then we finally come up with a forecast and then I uh, put that in the, the report that uh, the users see every month. We're showing our viewers the link to your website. How often do you publish the report? Uh, once, once a month from January through June. Historically, Jim, how accurate has it been? What have you learned? I think the, as far as like a grade, I think we're doing a fair job with the forecasting. Um, again, there's a lot of limitations to the modeling um, that we can improve, but uh, especially uh, Wyoming, the parameters, especially spring, the model has problems because of the statistical model, it doesn't account for the spring precip that we may or may not get. And it doesn't account for uh, rapid warmups that we may get sometimes in the spring uh, and early summer. Uh, that, that's a severe limitation to the modeling. So, Tell me, way back in 1954 to today. I've got to believe, though, it, things have really changed. Things are really different now, and things have improved, though. Yeah, 1954, they were mainly relying on manual snow course stations, and they did not have precipitation in, in, in the forecast. It was just, so what the snow, the water in the snowpack, was somebody manually uh, inputted or measured, and then they relay that to the forecasters. Whereas now you have more of a, you have a, they really didn't have a model. And now we have, we use 30 year norms. Probably, I don't know if you've heard that term for, we just changed over to 1990 to 2020, where we can look at, you know, the history of the snow water equivalents and the precipitation uh, averages where they didn't have that capability back in 1954. And they weren't really using um, per se a, a model. Um, because they didn't have a lot of data to ingest into the model. So it has changed rapidly. Let's talk about trends. Tell me about Wyoming's water trends and how are they now compared to, say, other regional states, states around us? How are things looking in your eyes? Um, Craig, the, you know, we, as we're a headwater state in Wyoming, a, a lot of it mirrors uh, where, the, like, you know, for instance, the Colorado, uh, I'm concerned about the Green River Basin uh, because of lack of, of runoff the last, basically the last 15, 20 years, or low runoff, and that kind of mirrors the, the overall Colorado Basin uh, low water um, regime. Also, the Upper North Platte is kind of concerning um, in the last five to 10 years uh, with lower than uh, average runoffs. Um, the other parts of the of the state, they are lower than the, in, historically, but not too concerning, especially the snake, not too concerned with the snake. However, this year they did have one of the lowest uh, runoff uh, numbers historically uh, this past uh, spring and summer. So statistically, you can measure this. Subjectively, do you put a reason to this? I mean, I guess I'm asking about climate change. Is this something that you um, decide is a cause of this, or are there other things that are involved with this? What are the causes of these changes? Well, first of all, we talk climate change. 
the way it's affecting uh, the snowpack is, is, is it's not just anecdotally. We do, you can see it in the science. Also, we, you know, the, the sites that we have out there show temperature data too, and you can see the warming uh, of the temperature data, especially the last 15, 20 years. So what I mean, the snowpack has risen, the main snowpack has risen up to 800 to 1,000 feet. So that, that's, with that, you get less amount that can melt that used to melt before, so you get less runoff. A kind of a simplistic view, but it, it, it makes sense. So I want to read you something that you said in 2014. In my eyes, it isn't so long ago, and I wonder about trends. I mean, Jim, you said this in the news report. You said, hydrologist Jim Fahey says, statewide precipitation levels last month were above 130% of average. Participation levels last month ranged from 203% of average near the upper Yellowstone watershed to 80% near the Cheyenne and Niobrara basins. And that wasn't so long ago. And now trends are alarming. I guess what I'm wondering is, is that in the news, we've all heard in the last year or so, the trends are alarming. Yet, things seem to be trendy. And, and what should we take from the somewhat recent past? Well, you, you quoted precipitation, Craig. And precipitation is, is a very variable um, uh, parameter in forecasting uh, uh, runoff. Um, and, and it's all about timing, um, especially in Wyoming. Um, I don't mean to not get off topic too much, but as far as precipitation, it's the timing, and I tell this to all the reporters and anybody I talk to, it's all about the spring precipitation in Wyoming. That, if we don't get it, we're, we're in trouble, or if we're time for drought, time for fires, or what have you. As far as the trends, and we, we have, we've had you know, a, a big long drought, the 2000s, that was unprecedented, even for Wyoming, we, we went from 2000 to 2009. And then we picked up, we picked up some, uh, we had a big water year in 2000, somewhat 2010. 2011 was a very great water year. 2014 wasn't bad. 2016 and 17 for most of the state was good. But in between, we've had some, some bad years. I mean, but overall in that last 20 years, because we've had that 10 year or nine year cycle that we didn't, uh, we, we, even for Wyoming was dry. The length of that drought was unprecedented. When you look back at that history, were those droughts predicted? Um, in other words, did we anticipate those to the extent that we can anticipate drought today? Or is it just something that we have to experience? And in your confidence factor for the next one year, two years, three years, where are you with Wyoming and drought, I guess is the question. Well, that's a good question, Craig. I mean, confidence in, in, in springtime runoff forecasting can can be low at times, but as far as trends, um, I mean, uh, you know, you look at, for instance, uh, uh, you probably heard the news, the news, the La, La Nina cycle. Sure. This might explain a little bit, or is we got a, we had a La Nina last year, 2000, 2020, 2021. Just looked at the uh, the wire on the CPC on the internet, and they predicted an 87% chance of, of a La Nina through February, December through March, or whatever it is of this coming winter. Um, and then when you look back at the La Nina years and the El Nino years, La Nina years is highly, it's, it, it, for Wyoming, usually means the northern part of the state will get wetter and be colder, and this is La Nina, and the southern part of the state will be drier and warmer. 
But there's also been a lot of there's always been a lot of there's a lot of chaos, a lot of variability. Whereas um, some years La Nina, like 16 to 17, was a strong La Nina, and we had a really good water year. Um, and but and also it's unprecedented to have two La Nina years in a row to produce the same same effects. As far as we're talking drought, so it's it, I mean it's very variable. Um, I don't know if that answers your question or not. I might be going around and around a bit with it, but. Variable is a good word. I mean, the bottom line is, even today, with all of the technology and all the modeling, it's just really hard to predict. It's so hard to it predict. To we're, we're, getting, we're getting better, uh, but I think, like I said at the beginning of the interview, the inclusion of um, data up high, the remote sensing, um, more ground truth, snow tells, which isn't easy to do above the, the alpine level, above 11, 12, 13,000, um, may help the situation. Um, and then we, we, you know, we, uh, how, how is, how is the climate change again? How is that wild card affecting our modeling and our prediction capability? Uh, that's yet to be seen. Take us behind the scenes and give us a little more insight in how is snowpack measured today? Um, is it more automated than it used to be? Is it still a manual process? Same thing with reservoir capacity, same thing with stream flows and soil moisture. Uh, is that more of an automated SCADA-like process today, or is it still really a manual type? No, it's, Craig, it's more automated. We do um, still do have, um, we have, um, shoot, about 30 manual snow courses across the state. And those are done by various, some of them done by our NRCS employees, some are done by the state engineer employees. Um, and those are done, you know, about three or four times a year during this, the winter and early spring. Um, and then those are incorporated um, a little bit into the modeling, but again, not as much as they used to be because of their, their low elevation. Um, they're still looked at, but they're not a primary input into the model. Primary input of the model is the Snowtail automated network. Um, and now that we're into 2022, and some of these sites have been in since 78, 79, we've got a pretty good base of data there. As um, far as um, you mentioned uh, reservoir data. Again, most of the data is automated through the U.S. Uh, Bureau of Reclamation. Uh, we do get some of the private reservoirs. We do get a monthly, um, uh, like Viva Naughton at Pacific Core and, and near Chemimer. They provide us their, their storage and their percent of capacity on, in a, like kind of a spreadsheet once a, once a month. Um, the Bureau kind of just goes, since it's automated, it just go, automates into the system. Uh, so we really don't see... Um, talk to them, you know, in person much. Um, soil moisture, that's a good one. We wish we had more, <laughs> more soil moisture sensors, but we have those attached to some of our snow tells and they are, they are, they, we put them out like two, eight, tw uh, 12, 20 inches in depth and they measure the percent of water capacity. So those are very valuable too, but again, spatially they're very few and very, you know, across the state. Um, stream flow is, of course, is a big one because we have to know if our forecasting is ver is verifying. We rely mostly on the USGS, of course, for stream flow data, as well as the state engineers and some of the Bureau of Reclamation has stream flow data that we use. And that's that's uh, practically all automated. Jim Wyoming um, um, has a cloud seeding program. A, um, do you find it beneficial? B, do you consider that in any of your forecasting? Um, relative to um, 
you know, its potential in increasing Wyoming's water supplies? Um, it, it doesn't, it's not a, it's only a factor if the, we see the increase in the, the, the snow tails or the snow courses on those basins that are doing water, mod, water mod, weather modification. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's really the extent of that, Greg. I guess I'll follow up a little bit. Have you learned whether those um, technologies are helpful? Well, I'd say, you know, talking to different folks, um, some say it's, they don't see it, the, the any Snow tail effects. doesn't give you any um, relevant, conclusive data about that? Yeah, that's, it, you know, I mean, I know the areas that they do the weather modification. I can't say that I've really researched whether they're, it's increased or decreased the amount of snowpack or snow water equipment. So I have to, yeah. Be an interesting, interesting. It would be question. interesting to see, yeah. You know, there's lots of technology out there, Jim. Do you does your office have all the technology that it needs? Does it does is there some technology, newer technology, new study tools, what have you that 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 are out there? Is there there's some things that you wish you had, maybe that are on your Christmas wish list that would help you do your job a little more efficiently? Um, I think if we had maybe more than one one model to look at, that would be nice. You know, like the weather, the weather folks have. Um, Sometimes they have three models. They look at a, I mean, European model and a GFS model and a, a Canadian model, whatever, what have you. I think it would be nice. I, you know, the statistical model we use now is 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 getting to be a little bit inadequate, in my opinion. Again, we need to have more of a physical-based model that incorporates soil moisture, or we call antecedent conditions in, in hydrology, temperature trends and precipitation trends. As we are getting better at climate predictions, uh, uh, so I mean, it would be nice to have that incorporated in the model just to see what kind of flow we get with that kind of a modeling versus the just statistical model, which we're just relying on what's on the ground, snowpack, what's the water equivalent in the snowpack, and then when it melts, because we know it's this level, we think it's gonna be this flow because history has told us that. So that's, yeah, that'd be a, a better, another couple of models to look at. <laughs> All of us this summer, Jim, we saw pictures of Lake Mead and we talked about this a little bit off camera. But sure. What were you thinking, Jim, when you saw those pictures? Um, I know what I was thinking, but as a hydrologist, what, what's going through your mind when you look at Lake Mead? You visited Lake Mead years and years ago and so did I, and now it's a different place. And we are a headwater state. What runs through your mind? Well, you know, I'm, it 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 mirrors what's happening, in especially the Green River Basin. Uh, we talked um, the last twenty years. You know, it, Lake Mead's twenty years in the making, as far as the the low flows we're seeing now. Um, the last twenty years, uh, the Colorado mirrors what the Green River, because the Green River is a major tributary to the Colorado system. We've only seen two or three, maybe four, decent. Uh, spring runoffs in that that period, um, it it just tells me that there's something that's causing us to. Is it climate change? Uh, it could be the efficiency of the snowmelt. Um, the amount of snowpack is, is is decreased. That's what I see as a as a hydrologist. And now we're seeing the results. Now, I don't know anything about you know. Of course, it's been the water's been used, but I don't worry about how they use it. We're as hydrologists. Water supply forecasting. We're just we're pinpointing how much water is going to come into the system, inflow-wise, and that really hasn't we haven't seen that. 
Let's go back to Wyoming, if I could, as we kind of wrap things up here. How are, um, what are farmers and ranchers asking you today? What are, what's, on, what's on their mind? And let's go maybe around the state. Um, what, are their, what areas are, are, are people more concerned, less concerned, I guess? And you've talked about the Green River Basin as maybe being um, folks having the most concern. Are there areas that where people are really concerned about their water future, Jim? Well, recently it's been the, uh, the Bear River Basin, which is just a small sliver on the southwest corner of the state, uh, Uinta County. And uh, also um, the Bighorn Basin has really seen a, a really bad part of the drought this uh, last year, year and a half. I've seen, because I'm on the, the Wyoming drought team, and so I see the emails and the concerns from the, the ranchers and the farmers. Um, another area is Northeast Wyoming. Um, they've really um, had a bad the last couple of years. Um, the green is, is low flows, but there is not, because of the, the topography and the climate in the green, we really don't see too much uh, as far as you know, irrigation problems because there's not a lot of, ir not a lot of irrig irrigable, is that a, land, is that a word, land uh, to deal with. Um, but most of it's in the, the Bighorn, um, northeast, yeah, the northeast part of the state, and then the extreme southwest part of the state. Are there any policy changes in your eyes that can be made that can help Wyoming's water situation? Well, that's a loaded question. Uh, how do you mean? Anything that you've thought about? Any, any policy topics on your mind that could be helpful um, to farmers or ranchers or to others that are consumers of Wyoming's water that might be a benefit to them well, down I think, the road? Well, I think what I've, what I've learned from the NRCS um, conservationists and uh, the conservation guys and uh, area man uh, the range management managers is that they're trying to emphasize the uh, using more efficient irrigation, um, you know, going from instead of um, flooding the fields, going into pivots and stuff like that. I don't know about mandating or policy changes. That's kind of out of my realm. But uh, yeah, use the water a little bit more efficient, efficiently. Uh, you know, I mean, we use most of our, as you know, in Wyoming, most of our surface water is for agriculture, and most of our drinking water is groundwater. Jim, what are students today bring into the table, and maybe what is how does their background maybe differ from yours? Um, what are what are they studying to better understand hydrology? Well, I think they're using more, um, like, for instance, GIS technology. That's really increased in the last few years, and I've seen that from uh, some of the young, the younger generation coming up. Um, I mean, basic hydrology is basic hydrology. It's the same. You're going to learn the same same techniques, but with that, especially that GIS technology, it's again with remote sensing uh, that technology to look at the whole picture and uh, of the basins especially with snowpack, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that happen um, in the next, in the, near, in the near future. What universities, I guess, study this more than others? Where, where is the hotbed of research relative to hydrology? Do you, what, who stands out in your mind? Uh, Colorado University. Mm -hmm. What originally. do they do? Well, they're doing a lot of uh, modeling, different modeling, like I talked, talked about that earlier. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're doing different, uh, uh, in fact, I think that the Climate Center, don't quote me on this, the Water Climate Center is um, tasking the Colorado University to uh, uh, help them out with their uh, their new uh, if their new model and modeling that's coming out in the next couple of years. You told me earlier everybody asks you, so I'll ask you. What's going to happen this year? This spring, Wyoming will. 
This spring, I think the northern part of the state's going to have a normal to above normal uh, runoff year. And then central, normal. Southern part of the state, still with the La Nina conditions, still having a problem with runoff. Southwest or southeast? The whole south. Uh, upper Platte, green, lower green, uh, bare. Um, we'll have a lower than average runoff. I mean, general terms, because really, it's still early in the game, but that's what we see right now. And as far as the, you know, and then looking at the climate prediction center for the for the winter, it does kind of uh, look like a La Nina with their forecasts, um, with the northern part of the state having better chance for colder than average temps and wetter than average uh, precipitation. For those of us who experienced three feet of snow last spring in our driveway. It's hard to imagine that anybody in Wyoming is short of water, but that's right. Wyoming's a big state. Well, we had 14 inches and I think we had that seven, 17 inches, uh, maybe somewhere in Casper, but I had about 12 to 14 in my backyard, but two days ago, so. But it's early. It's early, it's really early. And so what you're, I mean, people in Wyoming really need to look at really what happens after what, March 1st, April 1st? It's all about the spring, Craig, all about the spring. Yeah. Well, Jim Fahey, thank you so much. You've been a hydrologist in Wyoming for quite a while. Oh, yeah, almost 20 years. Yeah. Appreciate your, your time and expertise, and thank you so much for joining us uh, on Wyoming Chronicle. Happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Funding for this program is made possible in part by the Wyoming Humanities Council, helping Wyoming take a closer look at life through the humanities, thinkwhy.org, and by the members of the Wyoming PBS Foundation. Thank you for your support.